the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, whether it's Bible questions, church questions, stuff going on in your life questions. All we need you to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions, and we just got a big batch of emailed questions that came in. Uh, Questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app, And if you are driving in your car today, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, I'm glad you tuned in. My voice is a little tired, so please bear with me. This is going to be a busy week, but one of those really, really great weeks for a pastor. On Saturday coming up. Uh, I'm going to be marrying two kids. One of them is Pastor Matthew. Now, they're kids to me, so I don't mean anything disrespectful by calling them kids. But uh, Pastor Matthew and uh, Veronica, um, they have been, uh, I actually knew Vero before she was born. She was in her mother's womb when when mom came here. And uh, Matthew, of course, he came here in the sixth grade. Uh, and they have been in the fourth grade, third grade. I'm sorry, third grade. And and they've actually been planning this wedding since fourth grade. You know, you hear about these kids that meet and they just stay together. They, they, they literally have been a couple and, and, you know, as Christians do coupling, um, a couple since fourth grade. And everybody's new. And we have a couple others of those in our church. Uh, there's going to be another wedding coming up pretty soon. And then I just got word today that somebody else is asking a girl to marry. And this, these are things that are wonderful. So I get to do the wedding on Saturday, and it's going to be an absolute blast. An absolute blast. Hope you had a great day in church yesterday. We did here at Calvary Chapel. There was a lot of people here. And we're still getting lots and lots of new people. One of the really, really great things that happened here yesterday is a man... Uh, who it was? I think it was his third time here. He came up and introduced himself to me, and um, um, I, I knew a little bit about his story. Uh, somebody else had told me, uh, but he'd come from a bad church, sort of a cult church, and um, and he said, you know, Pastor Ron, I've got to tell you, the the Bible being opened, being taught like this, I just can't believe it. This is now going to be my church home, <laughs> and he said, and by the way, I've seen a bunch of people from my old church who are going here as well, so I feel right at home, and uh, you know, it's just, that's what teaching the Word does. So, been a great, great weekend. I hope that you also had a great weekend. I hope people got saved in your church. We had some people get saved here yesterday, and Others, uh, well, they let the Holy Spirit deal with their heart, believers, and that's what we come to church to do. Let's go to our questions. We love your phone calls. Here is a question from Jonathan. He says, deathbed conversions, I want to know if they're real 
and where did those people go? Then he says this, I don't think it's fair that people reject Jesus their whole life, gets the same reward um, that lifelong believers do. Um, Jonathan, let me just ask you, to, before I even answer the question, you really need to check your heart. As long as there's breath in a life, somebody can choose Jesus. My dad, not a nice guy. My dad, at 84 years old, he fell, he hit his head. Uh, was in a coma. Um, otherwise, he was pretty healthy. And um, I made it to Las Vegas where he lived to see him. And uh, by the time I got there, I'd sent a friend the night before from, from the Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas. And he led him to the Lord. And when I got there the next day, my dad was uh, out again. And I just started to wait for a few minutes. He woke up right away and looked at me and said, Ronnie? And I said, yeah, I said, what are you doing here? And I said, Dad, I just came here to, to, to make sure that that my friend Derek talked to you yesterday. He goes, yes, he's the one who told me about Jesus. And I said, Dad, did you ask Jesus into your heart? Did you ask to be forgiven? He said, yes, I did. He went right back to sleep. He never woke up again. So, yeah, deathbed conversions are real, and those people go to heaven because that's where believers go. Now, here's something that's really important for us, I think, to, to understand. This is Jesus. He told a parable. He said, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, this is Matthew chapter 20, and I'm beginning in verse 8. The story starts a little bit earlier than that. Uh, Gather the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I give you. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Jonathan, here's what you really need to understand. Jesus was saying it's his desire. You know, how many people are praying for these people who are near death and they've rejected, rebelled against Jesus Christ their whole life? And people are praying for them. And God wants us to partner with him in winning their souls. And the fact that you don't think it's fair, that puts you in the same position that the people in Jesus' parable are in. Well, we worked hard. We deserve more. The truth is, Jonathan, not one of us deserves heaven. Not one of us deserves heaven. And that's why grace is so wonderful. So, Jonathan, here's an area you really need to examine your heart. Because this shows you've got some issues. Maybe you think a little too highly of yourself. Paul says that we ought not to think highly of ourselves. Maybe there's other issues. What's your motivation for serving the Lord? What's your view of heaven? But I think most importantly, the issue is pride. Why do you think you deserve more than somebody else? When the reality is that nobody deserves anything. The wages of sin is death. And if God wants to rescue us right up until the last moment, what we who are believers need to do is we need to keep praying for them, that God would reach out to them. I've had the privilege of being at a lot of deathbeds in my more than 26 years here as a pastor. And the ones that have brought me the most joy, honestly, are those who I didn't expect to go to heaven. You just celebrate the goodness of God. You celebrate his, his marvelous grace. You think, oh God, how is what's heaven going to be like for, for me when you're willing to reach down and take people who've done nothing for you their whole lives and bring them there? And personally, let me personalize this, Jonathan. I think I'm probably going to have the first great, even good conversation with my dad ever when I get to heaven. 
We couldn't talk much. My dad was not approachable. My dad wasn't kind. He wasn't generous. And yet, Jesus was, and when I see him, what my dad is going to say is, Ronnie, you were right. You were right. It's better even than you told me. Quick story. I don't have anybody in hold, so I can do this. Paula and I went down to my dad. We, we lived in Southern California, but, but my dad was in the San Diego area. And uh, we took a drive down there, a couple-hour drive to where he lived. And um, I just wanted to tell him that we were leaving. We're coming to Texas, and this is 1995. And um, knocked on his door. He said, Ronnie, what are you doing here? He said, well, Dad, we're, we're leaving. We're going to Texas. What are you going to Texas for? And I said, we're going to start a church. And he thought it was the stupidest thing ever. I mean, he, he just couldn't imagine what I was doing. And he always had an opinion about everything. When I see him again, he's going to understand everything. And maybe for the first time ever in my life with my dad, he's actually going to say something nice to me without a but or a correction accompanying it. Jonathan, we all deserve hell. And being grateful to God means that we need to have a heart for the lost. And as long as there's breath in their bodies, they can receive Jesus Christ. Hope that helps, Jonathan. I hope it sort of gives you a bit of a moment to check your own heart with the Lord. Here is a question from Lawrence. He says, how would you deal with a postmodern view regarding objective truth? I have family members who reject objective truth. Well, Lawrence, your family members are professing themselves wise. They became fools is the way the Bible puts it. Um, you, you know what? I, I don't deal with a postmodern view regarding objective truth. And, and there are a lot of so-called progressive Christians who deal with the same thing. But here's the standard, the anchor that we have to hold on to is, is, is our God is immutable. It means he doesn't change. Now, he changes certainly the way he deals with people. He dealt with Jews, of course, under the law. He deals with us according to, to grace and new covenant. That's just one example. But the one thing that never changes is his character. He is the ancient of days. People say, well, believing in the Bible is so old-fashioned. We tell people, you can't have sex if you're not married. Oh, that's so old-fashioned. We live in a modern, sophisticated world. And I always tell them the same thing. It's okay because God's old. He's the Ancient of Days. But, Lawrence, what I don't do is argue with them because they know what they're saying is silliness. They absolutely know, and they can't even discuss it because they would deny their own foundation if you let them talk long enough. And so what I do is I deal with the postmodern view regarding objective truth with the truth. And I refuse to change. And one of the things, Lawrence, that we're having difficulty with in our modern world, I'm talking about now inside the church, is Christians are being convinced by the world that we live in that there is no objective truth. It's different for one person. It's different for another. And even sadder than that is our children are being raised uh, really brainwashed from, from pre-K on up that truth is whatever you want it to be. I mean, think about it, Lawrence. We live in a world where people who are born biologically in one with one gender can suddenly claim that they're another gender and be applauded for it. Speaking about male and female as the only alternatives to our sexuality is now in some countries, Finland, Canada, it soon will be here. It's only a matter of time. It's considered hate speech. And so what we have to understand is they know it's silly. They know it makes no sense. So what I do is I just tell them, you know better. You were raised differently. You know better. You know it doesn't make any sense. And then I tell them the truth all over again. 
So, Lawrence, that's the way I deal with it. That's the way I would encourage everyone to deal with it as well. So I hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585 for your live calls and, and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app anonymously. Uh, Pastor Ron, have you done a study of the book of Ecclesiastes, and where can I find it? I have, and in fact, I absolutely love the study. It gets a little tedious a time or two, but but the study is so good. You can go to calvaryessay.com, and uh, I went through the book. Um, uh, it's been some time, uh, but uh, it, it, uh, I, I took some time with it, and I think the study of that book had a wonderful uh, impact on our church. Um, it, it, it's King Solomon, um, wise enough to write the book of Proverbs, um, gifted enough to to have a song <laughs> preserved in the Word of God, um, a, a man that had every advantage. And Ecclesiastes was written when he was an old man, looking back on his life, having denied himself nothing. Um, he, he comes to the conclusion that it's all vanity in the King James, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Anything that didn't include God, anything that didn't have God as its priority, ended up to be absolutely meaningless. So, Anonymous, yes, we have. Um, I would be interested if to hear uh, what the Lord speaks to your heart um, when you get done with, with uh, the studies. CalvarySA.com. And, of course, all of our stuff is on there for free. There won't be any advertisements or any commercials. You can just go and listen to the study. I think I also have notes um, on Ecclesiastes that are there, sort of my own commentary. The one thing I would want you to consider is that the the, the notes are just sort of a guideline for me, and, and we go from there. So the, the studies themselves actually contain more uh, than just what the notes say. Thank you for the question. Here's another anonymous question from our email inbox. Uh, Pain and suffering will not have a place in heaven. So does this mean our memories will be erased and will not recognize loved ones since no one will be married and guessing will be ageless? Uh, No babies, no elderly. Uh, But then what type of bodies will we have when reigning with our Lord Jesus Christ in the new earth? Bottom line, I'll take whatever as long as I can make it heaven, but I have a hard time imagining what it will be like and keep hearing conflicting explanations. Please help. Thank you. Anonymous, I'll, I'll try to help. One of the things that, that we, we have difficulty with, with a question like this, is that heaven is more than we can ask or imagine. I mean, there aren't words on earth to describe what heaven is going to be like. So all we can do is um, um, trust by faith that heaven is going to be glorious absolutely glorious. We're studying on Friday nights, the book of Revelation, and John is trying the best that he can to describe this vision, this revelation that God is giving him. And he's using words and symbols and pictures because he can't really describe these things with any accuracy because he's never seen them, nor has he ever imagined them. The Apostle Paul went to heaven, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he says he saw things there that are indescribable. And he he added that men weren't permitted to tell. I, I I'm not able to tell you what I saw, and and so that's the, the sort of the the background of the answer that I'm going to give to your question. You're right. In heaven, there will be no pain or suffering. There'll be no more tears. Nothing impure will ever enter heaven. Uh, and I do think, Anonymous, that we will have, I call it sort of a, um, a brain swipe. I think our brains will be emptied of the things that will cause us pain. Um, one of the questions that I have a hard time dealing with from from people is, uh, well, how am I going to enjoy heaven if I know my loved ones are in hell being tormented? And I think those memories will be erased from our brains, and uh, we we won't have to deal with anything like that ever again. Um, You're right that no one will be married. We'll all be married to Jesus, and we will be ageless. We don't know um, um, how old 
will be, you know, what, what our bodies will look like, whatever the perfect age is, that's the age it will remember. And um, you say, what type of bodies will we have when reigning with our Lord Jesus Christ in the new earth? The answer is a body just like his resurrected, physical, resurrected, glorified body. Um, Jesus could materialize through walls. He could he could be one place and instantly in another place. Uh, those are the kind of bodies that we're going to have. Now, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus, uh, Anonymous, during the, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. That's before heaven. And we'll have those glorified, resurrected bodies. Um, I don't know that we'll be reigning or ruling. In heaven, there'll be nothing to rule uh, or to reign over. And so what we'll do is, I think personally, that we'll be learning the secrets of of the universe and beyond um, I, I just again it's something we can't imagine but we'll, we'll never stop learning and we'll never ever stop growing um, will we recognize loved ones of course we will uh, we won't know less in heaven than we do here I also think that the Bible is pretty clear that we will serve together uh, Paul I, I always tease her you know she prayed for me for 13 years uh, she stuck with me now, we won't be married. We'll both be married to Jesus, but we'll love each other infinitely more than we can than we can even think about now. And, yeah, I think God's going to make her hang out with me. I'm probably going to be like her butler or something because, you know, she prayed for me for 13 years. Um, but, yeah, we're going to hang out together. Uh, and I think I'm going to be reunited with my family. And I think... Uh, my grandma who's there and, 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 and others, people that we've lost here at the church. And I also think, Anonymous, that the, the, the people that make up Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, I think we're going to hang out together a lot. We've been made a body of one. On earth and in heaven, it will only be greater, more magnificent. So, um, that's the way it's going to be. And uh, don't worry about conflicting explanations. I think sometimes uh, people try too hard to explain the unexplainable, and that's what confuses us. The other thing is you said you have a hard time imagining it, uh, what it will be like. Um, try not to. Just trust the Lord with it. Just trust the Lord with it. I'm so busy enjoying my life here. Now, I want Jesus to come. I want him to come right now. I always pause there because I'm hoping maybe he will. But since he didn't, I want him to come. But I love my life so much, and I'm about his business here. And so we've got to be doing what he's called us to do. And then heaven, think of it as a, as a, as a bonus, an infinite bonus. And as much as we love our lives here, as close as we are with family members and friends, it will be infinitely better than that when we get to heaven. And it will be that way forever and ever and ever. Forever and ever and ever. All the mysteries, the questions, the pain, the, 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 the how many times have we asked God why, all of it will be explained without a word needing to be spoken. For I consider that our present Sufferings aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. That's what the Apostle Paul says about heaven. Now remember, he'd been there, so he knows a little bit better than we do. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Anonymous again on our, from our mobile app. Will there be work in heaven like different jobs? Um, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, but 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 if there is work, it'll be a labor of love, and it won't be like work. Um, you know, there's not going to be wages in heaven. Uh, I I just think heaven. Again, I tried to explain it a moment ago. I I I just think heaven will be like a bonus. It'll be like sitting down to a great meal, and when you don't think you can take another bite. Somebody brings out your favorite dessert and it looks better and smells better than you ever imagined. So, um, that, that again, I, I know the, the work is good. And so we'll have, our lives will have value and they will have meaning. But our work is good. 
We're inside two minutes, three four zero ninety five eighty five. By the way, tonight at Calvary Chapel, we have uh, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock, so you can make it a family affair. And uh, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men. Ken's wife, May, will be teaching the ladies tonight. And, of course, Pastor Chris and Pastor Matthew will be teaching the junior high and high schoolers at the same time. Here is, I got one minute, so let me see if I have a very quick question. I don't think I can do this one in one minute. Um, Yeah, here's what I can do really quick. Caleb, I answered it a moment ago. Caleb says, since there won't be marriage in heaven, will we know our spouses uh, from earth? And Caleb answers, yes. Again, we won't know less in heaven than we know here on earth. Never forget that. There's not going to be, it's not going to be like, yeah, you look vaguely familiar. We're going to know each other more intimately than we ever could imagine about knowing them here on earth. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in our Monday show. I hope you're all getting ready for a wonderful Christmas. We are having our annual Christmas dinner this Sunday at 4 o'clock at a place in shirts. Well, hang tight. We'll give you the places I don't recall off the top of my head. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our monday show 340-9585 for your questions or toll free 877-630-KSLR hey i apologize for not knowing where our Christmas dinner was, I just realized right in the middle of inviting you to come, I realized, hey, it's not the same place that it's been. Because of COVID, we missed it last year, and the place that we've been using wasn't available, so we found another place. It's Mikulski Hall in Shirts. It's on Shirts Parkway, and uh, it's a really nice place, big. Um, uh, The last time we did this in 2019, uh, we've been doing it for a lot of years prior to COVID. Uh, we serve more than 1,500 people, and we're excited uh, to have a bunch of people here. And we've always uh, extended the invitation to you on the radio. Uh, and every year, some from the radio program show up, and we're blessed, and they're blessed. Um, don't have to bring anything. Um, if you want to bring stuff, uh, just be sure it's there at 345 on Sunday afternoon, um, the the dinner starts at 4 o'clock, and it's just a really great time. Uh, you know, we have multiple services, and we have a small facility, so we, we just love those opportunities where we can get everybody together in the same place. Um, people get to meet people that they've all been coming to church for a long time, but, but they never really run into them. So um, this Sunday, 4 o'clock, at Mikulski Hall in Shirts, Texas. And it's at 4 o'clock, and um, probably we usually there till 6 or 6.30. It's a great, great time, and look forward to seeing you there. Okay, let's go to our phones. We have Ray calling from San Antonio on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks for taking my call, Pastor Ron. Um I'm puzzled about something, and I'm sure you can straighten me out and give me some direction on it, but you have said previously, uh, I believe, that uh, I'm talking about our glorified new bodies, you know, and and Jesus, you have said, uh, we'll be like him, and and I don't understand that because you also have said, I think, that uh, he will have retained his uh, scars from beating, or I don't know exactly how that works. So could you kind of straighten me out or give me some direction in figuring yeah. that out? Yeah, Ray, thank you. I, I can um, I, I've often said Jesus will be the only handicapped person in heaven. And and it's because he retains the, the marks of his beating. 
Now, people say, well, that's terrible. We're going to look at those scars. Those scars will be grotesquely magnificent. I know that's an oxymoron, but 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 we'll look at them, and, and at the same time, our stomachs will cringe, but our hearts will leap for joy because we'll understand for the very first time just how much he loves us and the price that was really paid. When he returns in Revelation chapter 19, the Jews will look at him and say, where did you get those wounds? And he will say, I, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. And we're going to understand what it was like and Jesus is the only one we won't ray we won't retain uh, any of our scars you know our bodies in the transformation uh, i always liken it from a, a a caterpillar to a butterfly be completely different it's the same us and we're going to be recognizable but completely different and so when our bodies will be like his we have no explanation john and paul both mention this um what we will be, we do not yet know. What we do know is that we will be like him. And uh, what that means, um, as best we can understand it in our limited understanding, is that um, Jesus would, was able to, to walk through a wall. I mean, he, he just appeared in the middle of the upper room when they were hiding uh, out of fear from the Jews, when his disciples were hiding. Uh, he could be in one place. He was on the road to Emmaus, and then suddenly he was gone. And so we'll be like that. That means there'll be no air travel, no TSA, <laughs> no checking bags. We'll just be able to be in one place and instantly go to another. And um, heaven, when the new heaven and the new earth is created, after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, it'll be beyond anything that we can imagine. A completely redeemed, recreated earth. Um, perfect in always the way God intended for this one to be. So, Ray, that, that's that's the only only thing we can know to explain. Our bodies will be like his, and uh, we can't have the full understanding of that until we're actually there. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Here is a question from... Another anonymous one. Um, he or she says, "If my whole life, if my whole life is being recorded in the book of life, to be judged by our Maker, then we'll have to recall past sins and wrongdoings and also good deeds, like serving and sharing the gospel, so we can receive heavenly rewards." Now, that's not the end of the question, but let me stop with that. Um, our, our book, our our, the, our lives have been recorded. Remember, God lives outside of time and space. And so everything that we've ever done is recorded in the book of life. But when our names are entered into the Lamb's book of life, remember, go to heaven, the books, John says, were opened. The books were opened. They're multiple. In the Lamb's book of life, all of our sins are gone. And so I, I, I'm assuming you're a believer. As a believer, we will not have to uh, stand in judgment uh, or recall past sins and wrongdoings. We won't. That's not the judgment of the believers. That's going to be the great white throne judgment. That's the, the, at the end of the thousand reign of Christ on earth when people are cast into the lake of fire. Um, then the books are going to be opened and, and all their sins are going to be um, exposed. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But then we will be judged appropriately based on our life. And of course, we know that all sin separates us from God. The difference between the believer and the unbeliever is that our sins are gone, wiped away as far from us as east is from west. Crystal Lewis used to sing a song called The Bloodstained Pages. And she said, you know, in the song, the lyric was, um, in, in the book of life, all of the charges against me are covered by the blood. Nobody can read them, so the only conclusion is that we're pronounced completely innocent. So we're going to stand in judgment for rewards and for loss of rewards. That's all. Heaven is already assured for born-again Christians but we're going to receive rewards for the good things that we did. We're going to lose rewards 
for the things that we did with the wrong heart or the things that had no value for the kingdom of God. So that's the difference. And I, I, I want people to really get that. I will never, ever stand before God and give account of any of my sins. Jesus bore them all. He took them all. All of our sins are completely wiped away. And when I stand before him on the basis of work, I'm going to stand before Jesus at the Bema seat. That's the reward seat of Christ. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And um, Jesus is going to say, okay, let's talk about the gifts I gave you. I gave you the gift of Paula. How'd you do? And, you know, all of the years that I was Ron the Jerk, all those are wiped out. So from 1991 on, uh, I'm going to give account. How did I do with Paula? Did I love her the way Christ loved the church? Giving myself up for her? Was I a model of godliness? If, If I was, then I'll receive rewards for that. If I was not, then I'll lose rewards that God wanted to give me for those things. So it's a completely different judgment for believers than for unbelievers. But then he continues, uh, but then how is it that I won't know I was married? And wouldn't this mean I won't be able to recognize family members and friends? Uh, I, I just, in a previous question, we won't know less in heaven than we know here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says that we're, we'll be fully known. As we are known by God, we will fully know. So, of course, you're going to know that you were married. And, of course, you're going to recognize family members and friends. Uh, and, and again, our relationships with them are going to be better than we ever imagined. And then the final part of this question is, do you make it to heaven in a redeemed, glorified, flesh-and-blown body or a faceless spirit? I appreciate your service and closeness to God Almighty. Thank you for that, Anonymous. Uh, but we, we, we will have a, a, a redeemed, glorified body. Uh, when the rapture of the church occurs, we will instantly go into the presence of the Lord, and we're going to need a body for that. I like to explain to the church, you know, whenever we go in an airplane, they have to pressurize the cabin uh, because we can't go above 10,000 feet without oxygen, without, without the cabin being pressurized. Well, we need a body that can ex- that can stand the uh, withstand uh, the, the the trip to heaven. We're in clear, in rarefied air there, and we need a body that will do that. So we'll be in that body, again recognizable. We'll know who we are. Other people will recognize us, but uh, it, never again, anonymous. Will I say, "Ouch." Never again will I complain. Somebody says, how are you doing today? Oh, man, this mountain cedar. Never again will any of that stuff happen. So I hope that answers your question. Let's go to Harold holding on line one. Harold, thanks for holding your on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. It's been a while since I've called. Uh, yes, I have a question, and I've listened to Ray's uh, comments a lot, and, you know, He's reminds me a little bit, a little bit about me. How he's kind of out there trying, trying to grasp on to, I don't like, like I am something else. But I get, I'll try to quote it right. Uh, how it says, probably the King James version. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it just kind of pops into my head, thinking, if He in the beginning created heaven and the earth. He was somewhere else while he was creating that. Have you have, has that ever come across you before? Something like that. I mean, is that too far fetched? Uh, no, no. Actually, you know, he's always been in heaven. Um, Paul describes it. I'm sorry. Paul describes it as the is the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. He doesn't mean that there's different levels of heaven. He's just talking about we've got the, the, the atmosphere that we live in, that'd be the first heaven, what we call outer space, the second heaven. Well God's abode is is beyond that. Um, no Hubble telescope can ever see that. Uh that's gonna be restricted to those of us uh who, who see him when we're there with him. Um, but but he created all things from there. And, uh, you know, it's impossible for us to really grasp the enormity of that. But but everything that was done was created by the Word. Jesus was 
the the um, the, the 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 Creator. Uh, Jesus holds all things together, and and we also know that God, having created the earth, visits the earth. He's visited the earth many many times. For, for one one of those visits, uh, he stayed here for for uh, more than thirty three years. So um, um, I think what we have to do, and and I like what you said. Our questions, years and rays, are sometimes out there. I think sometimes, Harold, we have a tendency to try to grasp concepts that are impossible to grasp. And I don't mean to trivialize this at all by using this example. But most of you, Harold, I'm sure you can. Ray, I know he can. You know, if something is broken, you can look at it and visualize how to fix it. I mean, you've got some ability to understand what's wrong and and, and how to fix it. I have no aptitude for that at all. Uh, my whole life, my dad, as soon as I could stand, my dad had a ball and a glove in my hand. And, and so I never thought about having to fix things. And to this day, it never occurs to me to try to fix something that's broken. It just never occurs to me. Something gets broken, I say, Paula. Well, heaven is kind of the same way. When we can't understand a concept... Our response needs only to be, Lord, I can't wait till you help me understand all these things. I can't wait. You know, we walk by faith and not by sight now, but a day is coming, Harold, where we walk, we will walk by sight totally because that's the reward for walking by faith with Jesus. Thank you, Harold. Good question. And you're right. It's been a while since you've called and we miss you. Thank you for, for calling. Let's go to Kelly on line two from San Antonio. Kelly, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I was wondering, since everybody's kind of talking about what people will remember or not remember in heaven, I was wondering what people will know when they are in hell. Will they know that they have loved ones in heaven, or how does that work? Thanks. Yeah, Kelly, I think so. Um, um, You know, they won't have the knowledge, of course, that we're being exposed to in heaven. But Luke chapter 16 paints a very vivid picture, and that's a story, not a parable. And Jesus is explaining what torment is going to be like there. People are going to be conscious. The torment is physical. I'm in agony in this fire. He asked um, uh, Father Abraham to send Lazarus, dip his finger in water so he can come and cool my tongue, for I'm in torment in this fire. And and then he says, when he's told he can't come there and you can't come here, he's saying, well, at least send somebody uh, to to tell my family members about this. One of the things that everybody in hell is going to want, and they're not going to be able to do anything about, is they're going to want to go to the people that they cared about in this life and tell them the truth. Jesus is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And so believe in Jesus Christ. They would be, if they were loosed to be able to do it, they would be the, the most effective evangelists ever. But, but sadly, that being confined in hell, they don't have the opportunity to do that. But yeah, they're going to be aware. I think one of the, the primary sources of their torment, Kelly, aside from the physical nature of it, uh, is, is they're going to realize how many times they were this close to Jesus. How many times they were this close to Jesus? I, I We're in the Gospel of Mark, and, and one of the things that always thrills me going through the Gospel accounts is these huge crowds around Jesus. And there were people in those crowds who were so close they could hear him, some so close they could touch him, others were close enough that he could touch them, and yet many of them didn't believe and as they are in torment now in, in the abyss, in, in what we call hell, but it's not really the lake of fire hell, the permanent hell, uh, I think one of those sources, I was so close. I heard him. I knew what he was saying was truth, but I refused to believe. And I think that is going to be uh, an eternity-long source of their torment. And so while we're here on earth, Kelly, all we can do is we can tell people, that, you know, you're close. I, I do this all the time when I'm giving invitations. 
You're so close. Salvation is so close. The Apostle Paul says, it's as close as your mouth if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart. It's as close as your mouth and your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you're saved. And the people who refuse to do that, as close as they were, they're simply not going to be able to reconcile the fact that I didn't do it. And that torment will go on forever and ever and ever. Now, one of the other things that I want to share here is just like there's going to be different levels of rewards in heaven. There's also different levels of torment in eternity. So not everybody's going to be tormented the same. You know, Hitler is going to to be tormented to a far greater degree than somebody who is just a nice person. And they just, well, I'm a good person. I don't need Jesus. I'm okay. I'm not a sinner. I make mistakes. That person who went through life and didn't really bother anybody but fell short of the glory of God, that person will be beaten with few blows is the way Jesus describes it in a parable. So, Kelly, thank you for that. It's good to hear from you again, too. We miss you. 340-9585. That voice you hear is Mountain Cedar. Uh, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Uh, here is another email inbox question from Anonymous again. I continually ask God to forgive me for past sins. I feel like I've I think I feel like I've done horrible things and maybe I find it hard to believe I've been forgiven. I know his love surpasses everything, but maybe I just can't forgive myself. How do I do that? I know I need to love myself, but have not learned how. I don't have friends and feel I'm so horrible people shy away from me at first sight, which is painful and confusing because I don't believe... I lost my picture for a moment. I don't believe I act bad in any way, so I wonder if I have a bad spirit that people um, can sense. Let me see. Or that people, yeah, that people can sense. How can I deal with this? There's a couple of things. One, um, um, uh, people hate when I give this answer, but but it's the only answer. Faith. You've got to have faith to believe that God keeps his word. You've got to have the faith to believe that he keeps his word. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. If you keep asking for forgiveness for sins already forgiven, Romans 3.24, we have been justified, justified, that means just as if I'd never sinned, freely, it cost you nothing. When did that happen? It happened 2,000 years ago on Calvary. So all you have to do is, is say, God, forgive me, I'm a believer and, and your sins are gone. And it grieves the heart of God, Anonymous, for you to keep holding on to or referring to sins that he, metaphorically speaking, doesn't even remember. And I'm sure you've done horrible things. So too have I. Let me say something else. I'm sure you haven't done things that are nearly as horrible as the things that I'm guilty of. So you see, you find it hard to believe you've been forgiven. This is a matter of really believing what God has written in his word. And the longer you keep holding on to those old things, remember that's the devil. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, yet you're living under continual condemnation. So you've got to get tired of it. You've got to be sick of it. And the way that you get sick of it is just staying out with Jesus. And the more you run him in his presence, the Bible says, is fullness of joy. And the Nehemiah adds this, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You need his presence to give you joy. And through his joy, you will be strong. And then you say, I know his love surpasses everything, but maybe I just can't forgive myself. How do I do that? You don't really know his love surpasses everything. You have intellectual assent to that fact. But you don't really know it in your heart of hearts because if you did, this issue would be resolved. This has nothing to do with forgiving yourself or loving yourself. This is about loving him and being grateful for what he's done. You know, yesterday in our message here at Calvary Chapel, we talked about the 
man who was lowered through the roof by four of his friends. And then earlier than that, the leper who was immediately cured. And the word immediate is just exactly the same way your sins were forgiven the moment you professed faith in Jesus Christ. So what you need to do is accept that. Just settle it once and for all and then remember that every remembrance of your old sin is, is, is a bad gift from the devil who wants to destroy you. He wants you wallowing in your sin. He wants you unable to receive the love of God because then he can keep heaping condemnation on you. This is a battle for your life, not spiritual life, but for the abundant life that Jesus has. And this is just something you've got to accept. God, I don't understand why you love me, but you do. And it isn't you forgiving you. It's not not you loving you. It's simply, Lord, you love me. And then responding to that. Let me give you something to do. And I want you to do it today. Open your Bible to the Song of Songs and read just the parts of the poem. It's, 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 it's Solomon wrote a thousand songs, but this is the one God wrote through Solomon. And, and, and there's subtitles in, in your Bible. And all the ones that say lover and what comes after that, that's Jesus speaking directly to you. So that's all you have to do. Read it. It'll take you, if you're an average reader, eight minutes. So read it over and over and over and let God's love wash over you. Because unless you receive the love that he has for you, you're going to keep fighting these struggles. And I will be praying for you. Please do that and find a way to contact me again so that we can know that you're doing okay. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate all the questions. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.